I'm Andy Crouch, inviting you to download and listen to the new Beer Edge podcast, a source for news, information, and insight regarding the brewing industry and the impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic. The show, co-hosted by John Hall and I, talks with key players on the front lines of the beer business to give you insights and advice on how to navigate these uncharted waters. The Beer Edge podcast is available on all major platforms, or you can visit us at beeredge.com slash podcasts. Thanks for your support. Welcome to Drink Beer, Think Beer. It's the podcast that gets to the bottom of every pint. I'm John Hall, and today my guest is Sean Lawson of Lawson's Finest Liquid. And I'll tell you more in a moment. But first, this episode is sponsored by New Holland Brewing. Dragon's Milk began as a single-barrel experiment almost 20 years ago at New Holland Brewing Company and has since grown to become the best-selling American-made stout. Aged for at least 90 days in bourbon barrels, it has rich notes of roasted malt, chocolate, and vanilla, which make for a deliciously smooth and drinkable brew. Whether it's sitting by a bonfire or virtually toasting over Zoom, share a legend with Dragon's Milk today. Learn more at dragonsmilk.com. And of course, we're produced by Beer Edge, the newsletter for beer professionals. Help support journalism covering the beer industry by subscribing to the twice-weekly newsletter. Learn more at our website, beeredge.com. So I've been thinking a lot about recipe development and where creativity lives inside of a brewer's brain. And there's some beers that just stand out among others. It's not all marketing because those beers are all flash and no substance and don't necessarily seem to last too long in the craft beer space. So the beers that can capture the imagination and get us standing in lines or having friends mule some back home are the ones that usually have some oomph behind them. It's not easy and there aren't many of these beers, but one brewery that has seemed to capture all of the attributes that I just mentioned is Lawson's Finest Liquids. Sean Lawson is now the CEO and founding brewer of the brewery that bears his name, and it's known for hoppy beers, and he does them well. But he also experiments with native ingredients and has the mentality of a scientist and an architect when it comes to creating a new beer. We talk about that. He's a fellow Jersey guy who found his way up north, and he started the brewery at his house years ago, getting drinkers excited for drops in his adopted state of Vermont. From there, he expanded and started contract brewing at Two Roads before launching his very own commercially accessible brewery and taproom about a year ago. And because it helps track the evolution of the brewery, that's where we start. Here's the conversation. They only let me brew at the little seven-barrel brewery these days. Who, uh, so who's they, right? I mean, if, if, if you're the guy. Yeah, um, that's, my, that's because I hired a very capable team and a uh, director of brewing in the form of uh, Scott Shirley, who was at uh, Harpoon, uh, their Windsor plant for yeah. 18 years. So he knows how to run a production plant and how to do manufacturing on a, on a different level. Um, than I have experience doing, so I left. So I'm leaving it in his capable hands, with me steering the ship, uh, ensuring that the recipes are just right, true to brand, and uh, my most important and favorite role, uh, uh, chief taster. <laughs> <laughs> Got to make sure the beer tastes right before it goes out to market. Now, was this a 
I was going to start someplace else, but I, I you know, I, I'm yeah. curious as to for a long time the brewery was at your house, and yeah. I was going back through old emails, uh, going back probably the better part of a decade. Uh, in, in researching the show and all of your correspondence with me was very, very clear of do not share this address. This is a private residence. I don't want people <laughs> yeah. showing up at my house. Um, yeah. And and a decade ago, like, you could probably get away with that, you know, where there weren't yeah. people traveling as much for beer or maybe the beer fans were a little bit more respectful or sort of understood your story when you were still small and sought after. What were those early days like, though, brewing out of your house? Uh, you know, it's pretty wild how far we've come. Uh, when I started the brewery, it was like a hobby business. You know, I started with, uh, I actually have pictures right here on uh, the desk that I'm talking to you from. And I'm, so I'm looking at that original brewery. And it was, you know, I had these, it was like a glorified home brewing operation that was licensed as a commercial brewery, a more beer brewing system, Blickman fermenters, and started <laughs> it on the side as a hobby um, business to see if it would, see if it would go and if, and see if all those people that said they loved my beer and they wanted to buy it if I went into business were, were actually going to put their money where their mouth was. And, and man, did they ever, because from day one, I just could not make enough of it fast enough. So it took me about a year, and then uh, I decided to leave my very uh, dependable uh, day job uh, doing forestry work with the state of Vermont um, and working on a forest health monitoring program um, and really make a go of it and uh, and brew full-time. And we sold the beer, uh, my wife and I, at the farmer's market, at the Warren store, and just distributed it to a few accounts because uh, one barrel of beer doesn't go very far. Mm-mm. Um, so those early days were um, were were kind of like a, a, a home brewer that uh, found a little niche, and there was only about fifteen hundred breweries back then in yeah. in the U.S. in two thousand and eight when I started. Would you still, despite your warnings, would people still show up at your house? Yeah, but we did really good with it. We we rarely had people show up. Um, there was one year early on that somehow it got into the Vermont Vacation Guide <laughs> listing of breweries and wineries. That year we had quite a few, but it seemed like it was only that one year that the guide was out. Um, and after that, um, not too many, not too many people. Occasionally they would come by. I would politely explain, you know, that we weren't open to the public and. Um, and if they were lucky, I'd send them away with a gift, a glass, or a, a bottle of beer, and uh, and appreciate them as uh, as fans. Because it was also for pre- making the great lengths to to hunt us down up in the woods and uh, on the side of a mountain uh, in Warren, Vermont, not too far from Sugarbush. It seems like really the middle of nowhere once you get there, but we're not too far from uh, from civilization. So you expanded, uh, you started doing some contract brewing, you got your beer out there to, to more thirsty people, uh, and then you built yourself a really nice, brand new, shiny brewery. Yes, and that's the place where, uh, where Scott is now the director of brewing and running the operations on a, on a 40 hectoliter, beautiful craft star system from GEA. So you went from um, a single barrel to a 40 hec, and... So, we, well, the steps the steps along the way were three years in. I went to a seven barrel system in that original brewery up in Warren, and that enabled me to really start 
um, gaining some traction as far as our as far as our name and our brand and our reputation for beer. And I did that for a few more years, and then in 2014, um, so that'd be six years in, we uh, I decided to. Um, start contract brewing down at Two Roads in Connecticut and uh, created a beer called Sip of Sunshine, which is, was uh, inspired by our first home run, which was Double Sunshine, the beer that people would drive from all over the place to come to, 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 to Warren, Vermont, to the Warren store, to the farmer's markets to buy. And that Sip of Sunshine took off and we expanded distribution from Vermont to first to Connecticut and then New York City and then Massachusetts and then uh, and then Maine and New Hampshire, and now we've added all of New York, New Jersey, and um, so you're a Jersey guy. Which PA. you're a Jersey yeah. guy, which which bothers me that like it took like you just say like 16 other states before Jersey <laughs> got it. <laughs> yeah, Jersey it was it was kind of like going uh, full circle. You know, I needed to go. I need New Jersey was homecoming for me. So we we launched uh, New Jersey last summer. Um, as our newest market and 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 as the what was fitting is it's the final frontier for us because that kind of rounds out the northeast for us and Mm -hmm. we have really no plans and we've been you know we've shared that publicly what our you know just what our strategy our what our plan is for territory that that that's that's it for the foreseeable future it's a comfortable home range it's where we can keep the beer fresh and close to home and where people know us really well and yeah. where we're well known and where we can keep close tabs on the quality and the freshness of the beer. There, There is, or at least maybe because I live here in Jersey, but there does seem to be a connection between the Garden State and Vermont. Um, oh gosh, yeah, like ha- half of half of Vermont, uh, it seems like at, at various times, uh, like our, our Jersey transplants or have some sort of connection through family or how they got here uh, if, if, if they didn't grow up here uh, to Jersey. What, what do you attribute that to? You know, I'm not sure. It's within a day's drive, and it's such a beautiful spot. And, um, you know, people, a lot of Jersey folks um, love to ski, um, so there's a, you know, the tourism economy gets people hooked and then they move up here. I mean, the, or the, the beauty uh, through the, the beauty and vacationing in Vermont, um, gets people hooked. Or for me, it was actually a family connection. My grandmother had a, uh, a lake house up here. So we'd come up in the summers as a young kid, I got hooked on, on Vermont early on coming up in the summer. And then we started skiing up here. So that's how I, that's how I ended up landing up here at uh, the university of Vermont for college. And, um, and that that sealed the deal. It was just stuck it was around. In love with Vermont. <laughs> so so we took the the scenic route because what I was most yeah. curious about. So now you have a forty hex system, and you're saying that you're uh, you're allowed to play on on the seven barrel. Um, you know, it, it it strikes me as the guy who founded the company should do you know whatever he wants. But uh, yeah. at, at some point, though, you got to give up the reins, right? And you know, and and sort of focus on other things because beer is, is is a business and it's nice to have the i guess the seven barrel as the pilot to kind of play around on but was this a planned thing or did you just sort of walk in one day and scott had changed the locks on you and said uh, oh no 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 you can't go up there sir <laughs> no, like this, this is, is for the pros this is uh this is definitely planned all along i knew if i was going to run the company and uh that there was no way i could be uh, in charge of the day-to-day brewing activities as well as 
running a company with now over uh, 50 employees and and making sure that our mission and our values, uh, our, core, our mission, our vision, our core values, and our and our sort of our brand pillars are um, carried through each part of our business, whether it's through the hospitality. Uh, that we now have uh, with our ta- with our tap room, which is <laughs> currently a dry. Yeah, we'll we'll get to that in a second. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, distribution and uh, brewing and and marketing. So I kind of have I have my hands and or at least my eyes on all of those areas now. But for how, how we got here, you know, I from the beginning I had it in the business plan that we had aspired to when the time was right to create a home and a destination for lovers and fans of of Lawson's Finest Liquids here in Waitsfield. Um, so that was always part of the plan was to, but it just, we were very methodical and it just took, it just took 10 years to get here. What what I'm curious about though, is how you make the decision when you started focusing on one thing, right? So you, you left the forestry service to make a full go at brewing and to be the guy who was, um, you know, creating the recipes and thinking about the recipes and, and putting them out there and putting your name on, on, on the can as well. At some point you made a conscious decision to say, okay, I'm going to hand off the brewing reins and I'm going to run, you know, this company that I founded, which, which is a, a completely different skill set is my understanding at least of, you know, it's a lot more time in your office. It's a lot less time on the brew deck. It's, it's, it's sort of a totally different world. Did you have to psych yourself up for that, or was that something that sort of naturally happened? And how's that sitting with you? You know, it 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 really sort of it was a natural evolution of um, going from making all the beer myself to really making a huge leap of faith by um, placing my trust and and my recipe and my product with. with two roads in Stratford, Connecticut to, to make the beer there. And so there, you know, I was overseeing the production, um, the process, making sure everything was just right. So that was part of the natural evolution. And then we started um, slowly adding employees, just a couple of employees uh, a few years later. So it, it sort of naturally evolved that way. And, um, you know, as I've gotten older, I, I know for sure I can't, uh, lug 50 pound bags of malt and 165 pound half barrels all day oh you guys didn't put in a fully automated system come on (laughs) (laughs) no we still add 50 pound bags of malt by hand at least the specialty malt we got a couple silos and the kegging is all we have a we have a really nice kegging line but by no means is it automated you got to manually put the kegs on and off yeah but do you miss it or is it is it is uh, it know, sort of a fun evolution? It's been a great evolution. I mean, it's really satisfying to see and gratifying to see how far we've come and how we've created uh, you know this this company that now offers you know great paying jobs and awesome benefits, and we're creating a culture along the way. We're giving back to the community, so that's you know it's really that's exciting and, and gratifying. For me, and thankfully, what keeps me sane is I have what we've redubbed the Wizards Workshop. So that's the Seven Barrel Brewery up in Warren, and that's where I get to go play, do fun collaborations, uh, create uh, new recipes or experimental beers, or just brew 
small batches uh, for for just our Waitsfield location. So having that uh, really keeps me sane because it keeps me grounded in in that I am still a brewer at heart. So I, you've just opened up about six uh, veins of conversation, and I'm trying to figure out which one I want to follow um, at, at, at this point. So I want to get to innovation uh, in, in, in a few minutes, but you talk about brewing culture, and that to me is something that is so important and needs to be it, it needs more attention in my mind. And you have this pretty unique perch in beer where the early versions of the beer that you made sort of captured the zeitgeist of what was happening in beer. You know, people would drive to Vermont to, 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 to get your beer and to, to mule at home. Uh, people would, um, you know, like, oh, what do you mean you haven't had Lawson's yet? You know, your, your brewery became mm-hmm. sort of like the first name uh, in the first name club of, uh, of of brewery names of, you know, things to be excited about, especially in the new wave of, of IPA. And there's breweries that do that now. There's breweries that have beers that sort of capture the zeitgeist, but that don't necessarily have a company to back it up. It's it's a cool mm-hmm. label. It's a cool thing to stand in line for. It's a cool thing to tick off on Untapped, and it it hopefully it, it it's fun to drink. But that's sort of where the experience ends. I wonder if being as 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 popular or sought after as you were in the early days, how that sort of helped forge the culture that you're able to. I don't know produce these days, or the culture that you're able to uh, promote under the Lawson's name these days? Well, you know, it's an interesting question because I'm not sure how those early days contributed to the culture of the company that we have now, except what was at the core of what I, what I tried to do at the outset, which was to make, you know, just to make some of the best beers in the world, to make world-class beers. And as we've evolved and, and grown, um, and actually, through the early days of doing our anniversary uh, events, where you know it was one of the few opportunities for us to host our fans in a rented venue, where we're also trying to deliver world-class service, so excellence in both uh, both beer and in service, and in the way that we interact with our fans. That's sort of at the heart of what we're aiming at with creating our our company culture with a much larger group. Um, and we had, you know, we had the luxury of time and years to, 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 sl- to kind of develop it and to do a lot of, uh, uh, to, to put a lot of intentionality into it. Did the culture change after you hung your own shingle after you guys built the, the new brewery and the new tap room? Well, yeah, going from, you know, three people, uh, to 40 full time and another, you know, 12 to 15 part-time, so over 50 employees altogether. Just, you know, that radic- that's like starting all over again. It's like starting a new company. Um, so, man, it was hard and learned a lot. And, you know, we're still a young organization. We're still learning. Um, and I think that we've made a lot of progress in um, kind of nurturing that culture and listening to our our team and our staff. And also we have a great leadership team, a great senior management team, that's experienced that help bring, you know, that help bring their strengths to our, to our culture and help, help us form it together. So something tells me that if 
COVID happened a decade ago when you were still operating out of a small space and you had uh, controlled places where the beer went and you were living and working at home, that it would be maybe a little bit easier right now as opposed to having infrastructure and all of these employees and everything. How, how have the last couple of weeks yeah. been for, for you, you know, and, for, and uh, for the brewery? It's like it's probably been one of the, you know, every t- I keep having new most stressful experiences in my life. <laughs> <laughs> and so we're laughing, the, but I, yeah, I'm the, right there with you. The, it's yeah. the civil orders, uh, the, 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 you know, just the, all of the anxiety and the uncertainty surrounding, um, you know, this global pandemic. And as we watched it unfold in early March, you know, the anxiety started to grow. What are we doing? And uh, how are we being careful? And we added all these hand sanitation uh, units around the place and we're cautious about handling things. But it wasn't yet. Nobody was closing and then right there at the second end of the second week in March the 14th 15th was when there was just a rapid cascade uh, yeah. of places closing before even the civil orders came from governors to close um just businesses leading actually and so closing the tap room was incredibly anxiety and stress filled and then the first few weeks just not knowing what was going to happen and how it was going to all work and and the the you know the fear and and uncertainty and how we're going to keep people employed uh was really stressful and then after about 4 weeks we're like all right we're we're kind of getting the rhythm here of this new operation we've got our drive through it's make it's making up at least for some of the lost sales at the tap room and we're seeing the retail sales in the in the packaged beer stores are really steady or, or going up yeah. Um, so that started to give us reassurance that the bottom wasn't going to completely fall out from our business. And then we got the PPP loan and we uh, made the decision to keep all of our full-time staff right at the beginning uh, on full-time pay, even though their work schedules were reduced with the tap room being closed and with the plant. You know, we, we cut back on production uh, we actually paused for two weeks just to see what would happen oh, wow. and, to, and to move through some inventory that we had that was already brewed and coming ready each week to package. So we're still packaging, but not brewing. Um, and then after that first month or so, things got a little bit easier, but it's kind of like riding a wave. You know, we go through these, you know, news comes out or, you know, new guidance comes out from the governor of the state. And we're like, okay, how are we going to, how are we going to pivot now? How are we going to adapt? But, uh, you know, so the first four weeks were really hard. The last four weeks have been still anxious, but um, feels like we're at least we've got a new rhythm going. And then this week we're back to full production. So we're at the, you know, week of May 11th now. And yeah. um, this week we ramped back up because the non-essential business in Vermont uh, in manufacturing is permitted to operate. We started as you know, we were very thankful that food and beverage supply chain was considered essential at the beginning, and certainly the customers are showing us that they think beer is essential because they're 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 really supporting us and our and our brand and 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 packaged beer in general at the retail stores. Um, so uh, the, now that we're back to uh, non-essential manufacturing, up to ten people at any facility can work. Now we're that would that we only have nine people total in the brewery, so. Um, that allows us to get back to full production. So that's where we're at this week. 
what do you think the brewery looks like when restrictions are lifted? Have you started to think about? We're we're just really starting to put together our detailed plan for the tap room for what that looks like when it reopens. But man, it's going to look different. You know, there's going to be lowered lowered occupancy. You know, there'll be less tables and chairs. There'll be a new flow of people through the building because we'll try to set things up for sort of one-way flow. You know, we're trying to uh, look at all of the ways to be contactless. But at the end of it, you know, what we've talked about and I think where we'll land as a team is that if we're not able to reopen uh, as uh, in a way that's consistent with our brand and our image and our, you know, our mantra of world world-class service for world-class beer then we're then we're probably going to wait a wait longer because right now uh you know facial coverings and physical distancing of everyone staying six feet apart is just completely incompatible with a community gathering space where uh people are are, are naturally and food and beverage service you know that's heartbreaking in some ways yeah, it really is. That's why like grief has been involved in in so many different levels for so many different people, the sense of loss, you know. Um but I know that we'll be back. We will definitely be back and I think that the you know, we're going to need to have a lot of patience in what the new new model looks like and eventually the new model will will evolve back to where we have a, a vaccine for this thing and we're, you know, we can we can hug, hug each other and, and yeah. lean over and, and, and stare at the menu together, you know, real close to one another without being worried that we're going to, you know, come down with a virus that, that's going that, to, that's going to, you know, spread to other people unknowingly or that could really, uh, you know, be a life or death threat. Yeah. So amid the grief amid the uncertainty amid the the worry and the everything else you've always sort of approached beers i, I i'm assuming uh because I, i've been drinking your beers for you know the better part of the the, the last decade now um, but they're always well constructed in my mind and they're always very purposeful it's not just hey let's take some of these varieties of hops and, and, and see what happens. It's there, there's a real sort of thought behind it. And, and there's almost like an architectural structure to your beers. Ha, have you been thinking about new recipes? Have you been thinking about where or what you might want to, to put out on draft or put in a can in the coming weeks, in the coming months? Uh, ha, have you been able to, to sort of access that, that part of your brain? Um, we, you know, we had so much planned and in the works already for 2020, uh, we're sticking to the plan, which is really exciting for us because we have a bunch of, of new and different beers that we'll have to celebrate in different ways than we had planned than, you know, like having an anniversary party and it's supposed to be this Saturday. Uh, but that's been, <laughs> you know, postponed. Yeah. Uh, and so for our anniversary, we're coming out with our anniversary Imperial IPA peril. So that's an old favorite, but this is going to be the first time it's, it's in cans. And, um, 
and then we've got our what we started brewing yesterday for our June uh, month-long release across all of the Northeast, and, and it's going to be cans only now. Will be our passion fruit space in between. I'm really excited for that beer. We trialed it last year. Uh, what makes you excited about that beer? Draft. Oh, just the flavor profile of it is is it's just so awesome. the The beer starts with a slightly tart characteristic. It's a the space in between is a an, what we call an undefined ale. It resides yeah. in the space in between styles. It's a little bit tart. It's a little bit hoppy. It's a little bit hazy, uh, and it's dry hopped with Southern Hemisphere hops. It's not quite a pale ale. It's not quite an I. It's definitely not an IPA. Um, it's not a. It's not a hazy or juicy pale ale. It's it's just something that's kind of in between that I that I came up with uh, playing around with with recipes uh, and and wanting to make something that was all of those things: dry hopped, a little bit tart. And uh, a bit hazy due to a, a good dose of uh, wheat and oats in the recipe, and it and it seemed to resonate with with uh, people when we first released it. So I brewed it again, and people were really loving it. And it's five percent alcohol, so it's really quaffable. So the passion fruit takes it to a whole nother level because that has its own acidity and level of tartness, and then the fruitiness just adds another um, dimension, another sort of wave of flavor that rolls over your palate. So that's why I'm so excited about that beer. When you start with a blank piece of paper and an idea for creating a new beer, where do you start and then where do you go from there? Well, it really depends on sort of where, what I'm trying to do or what I'm trying to create. Uh, but typically I start by thinking about flavor. So what sort of flavors do I want to um, present in the finished beer? And then, then I go towards style. So what sort of style of beer is this? Or is it even a style at all, like the beer space in between? Yeah. Uh, really, what am I after with the flavors that, we're, that I'm trying to present? Uh, I'm always thinking about balance. So how am I going to balance out um, whatever uh, competing or complementary characteristics, flavors, or aromas there are in the beer. So whether it's with an IPA balancing out the the body and the malt sweetness with just the right amount of hops, uh, what type of you know uh, impression am I looking to give? Uh, IPAs are are probably one of my most frequent brewed beers, so that's the easiest example for me to think about. Yeah. Am I trying to present a you know, something that's more um, classic with citrus and pine, or are we going for over-the-top uh, fruit-forward uh, aromas and flavors with a lot of juiciness and less bitterness? Uh, so those are many of the thoughts that go through my head. And also then, then factor in, is this a fun project? What are the other things that go into contributing to the finished beer? And are, am I using any specialty ingredients? And how do, how do those want to be woven into the kind of the fabric and the, um, the DNA of the, of the beer and the, and the sensory of it, the flavor and the aroma of it? So those are some of the thoughts that go through my mind. You, you talk about IPA, and it's, it's, it's obviously a style that you and your brewery have become known for. How is your perception or your approach to creating an IPA changed in the last 12 or so years now? 
you know, it really hasn't changed that much. It's evolved really? uh, through the early years, and it's interesting that, um, you know, that Lawson's Finest and Double Sunshine in particular and our other Sunshine beers um, are uh, often included in articles or in lore about, you know, New England IPAs. But when you look at the beer, the way it's put together compared to today's New England IPAs, classic New England IPAs, or hazy or hazy and juicy IPAs, um, they look sort of clear. <laughs> <laughs> and I like to say it's not really a New England IPA, but it is an IPA that's made in New England. <laughs> so um, one of the things, so I would, what I would, I would describe it as very. Uh, juicy tropical fruit forward but it still has this real element of um bitterness to balance the malt sweetness um where i think ipas in the juicy hazy or new england um sort of stylistic expressions have really evolved to be much softer on the palate to try to really get away from bitterness as much as possible and what is what I've what I've done with intention in the way that I craft our IPAs is really to try to stay true to brand. Now it doesn't mean some of our IPAs aren't hazy the way they present, um, but they really still fit the same sort of overall uh, stylistic expression and the technique that I use um, with still a pretty good dose of hops over on the hot side. Uh, in the kettle, yeah, uh, and uh, you know, in a really nice, uh, you know, robust uh, or, or generous addition of of hops in the dry hopping, um, but it would we don't really go to the sort of the level that many uh, brewers that use the, that do the super hazy or opaque IPAs, uh, you know, use really very very high quantities of dry hopping uh, rates of per pound uh, pounds per barrel. Um, and that's not something it would not something I typically do. Well, it's so not cost effective, really, especially either, in the yeah. last handful of years. The beers, the IPAs have changed all around us quite a bit, and we've really kind of stayed in in our in our wheelhouse because those are the IPAs that I like to drink the most. Not that I don't enjoy a really well crafted, juicy or hazy or New England IPA. Um, I just uh, I just happen to enjoy that our, sort of our stylistic. Uh, uh, presentation of it do do you have a tough time reconciling that with consumer perception though because there, there's not, so many breweries not, that come, yeah no not really you know not not really only because um i have the luxury of saying that because our you know we just have so much brand loyalty and fan love so um while hazy and juicy ipas have taken off yeah like unbelievably people haven't moved away from sip of sunshine. It's still one of their favorites. But as, cause I was thinking about that because I, you know, I've been drinking your beer for the better part, I guess of, you know, the, the, the last decade. And it's interesting to hear you describe them the way that you just did, because it, it makes total sense to a drinker of my age. And I guess my contemporaries and, you know, uh, you know friends that I came up uh, at the same time drinking with, but like there's 25 year olds out there right now who haven't known a world, you know, without opaque hazy. And when you say IPA to them, they expect it to look a certain way. They expect it to taste a certain way. And so 
I, I appreciate the brand loyalty to to what you're doing, but as we all start to get older, are you thinking about how to talk to the younger generation of drinkers? Uh, yeah, <laughs> or am yeah, I just giving you now something to, that's going to keep you awake <laughs> at night? With no, the new it's thought. really yeah. sort of how, how do we how do we while staying true to brand um, appeal to uh, appeal to newer craft beer drinkers or younger craft beer drinkers um, by showing them the that the, that the flavors and aromas that are there that they're looking for it might look a little bit different. Um, is that a but tough conversation, the, though? The Sunshine Series, it just presents these waves of tropical fruit character. It's, it's a fruit-forward IPA. Yeah. But is that a tough conversation? Because I know for you know for us, when we were coming up, uh, or as, as Hazy New England sort of came in, there was a certain generation of beer drinkers that was like, you know, well, what's wrong with your filter? Or, you know, why does it have to look like that? Or why are you using so much? We had all these sort of questions and everything. Um, and I think a lot of us have wised up, especially now that there's being some, some great beers that are made. Do you find that there are questions in reverse to the younger that you, that you should talk, that that you're talking to with, you know, the beers that we're used to? Does that make sense? Uh, you know, I well, thank goodness. I'm not, uh, I'm not responsible for our social media. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I, but I do a lot of events, and um, you know, prior to two months ago, I was out in the market uh, quite a bit. The last couple of years, um, you know, traveling around the Northeast, yeah. and, um, you know, visiting with with people at at events, at bars, uh, at festivals, and um, you know, I really I haven't found myself trying to convince anyone uh, that anything about our beers you know people either gravitate towards them or or they don't i suppose you don't do the brewery social media do, do you read the brewery social media though um some of it some of it i'm 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 personally not on <laughs> facebook so i generally don't see anything that's on there it's probably a good um, thing and it's funny Just because in we life. intentionally did not have a Facebook page for as long as humanly possible. I'm like, I don't want to give up all my customers' information to Facebook for free. <laughs> these days you kind of have to so, do that, though, yeah. Yeah, these days you do. And, uh, you know, what I, I tend to be on um, Instagram, is sort of, so I, I tend to follow what's, what's, on, our, uh, what's on our Instagram uh, handle. So that's what I generally see. I do check in on that. The the more popular the brewery, I think sometimes the more divisive the comments can be. Um, yeah, thankfully we were you know we're we've stayed clear of the fray in large part. Um, I think because we just uh, because of our core values of of, the, of trying to really stay uh, oriented to doing good and doing good doing good in the world, doing good by our employees, doing good by our beer. That doesn't mean there's not haters and trolls on there, um, but it doesn't seem like we have to deal with a lot of that at all. As, I don't know, the world continues to change, I think a lot of us are starting to sit around and uh, wish for simpler times or to, to sort of be back in the world. What do you miss right now? that you haven't been able to do over the last couple of weeks and that you're 
sort of oh, I miss our yourself. community here. Like our since we opened the tap room in Waitsfield, you know, we have our both our local community and then the much wider community of both beer lovers and Lawson's lovers, uh, Lawson's finest lovers. So I miss them a lot. I miss being able to hang out with our. Do you hang out in the tap room a lot? Uh, at least a couple times a week, I get a nice chunk of uh, time, a couple hours in the tap room. Um, and I'd like to do more in in the future because it's important for me to have a, a presence there for um, for our guests, for our fans, and you know, I always find that I make great connections when I'm there, um, both with locals that come in regularly and people who have traveled to visit us. And there's always a great story um, out of each out of each one of those chunks of time I spend in there, I get a great story from someone. What's a good example of something like they, they, they had, they had an experience with our beer, um, that's memorable and they're telling me about it. And that just, it makes my, it makes the smile grows bigger on my face and I, you know, it, it warms my heart. Is there something that jumps out as far as a story that somebody told you in the not too distant past that, uh, resonate with uh, still resonates well, with the you? ones that are really most uh special it's like no way really that like you they hiked to the top of a mountain with a backpack and they had some sips of sunshine in the bottom of the pack and the young gentleman uh proposed to his wife on top of the mountain with the ring and a couple of uh sip of sunshine cans so um <laughs> that's pretty special yeah that's worth that's worth like a free round in the uh, in the tasting room. I imagine. a few a few I'd say. All right, well that that's good to know for all the listeners out there. If you wanna if you want some free beer and to uh, have happiness for the rest of your life, that's how uh, that's how yeah. You do and a there's more than proposal. one. Then there were some. We, so we have the original house. Uh, the original brewery is up in Warren. Yeah. Um, the house that uh, Karen and I built, you know, more than twenty years ago, just about twenty years ago now, and. Uh, so last year, 2018, we moved uh, and we've converted the house into an Airbnb. And this past summer, uh, there was a couple uh, that stayed there. It was it was in the fall actually, and there was another there was another engagement story and and um, and the the the, the, the groom to be planned the entire trip. They they had the parents of both the families coming and. Um, and, and the bride to be had no idea that it was going to happen. And, and they wrote it all up in our, we knew it was going to happen, but then they wrote it all up in our guest book. And it's, it's pretty special. I mean, those kind of stories are, are just priceless. When you first got into brewing professionally, did, did you ever think that you'd be telling stories like that, that people would be? No, no idea. Had no idea. Where do you want to see the brand go? Where do you want to see the brewery? What do you want to see it evolve into? Um, you know, I want to try to main, maintain our place in the craft beer world as a leader, as an innovator, uh, as, uh, you know, a beacon of excellence, and, uh, and, and continue to give back to our local community and to the wider community that supports us. Um, you know, we have a we have a very we have a really robust um, social impact program, mm -hmm. and it's really taken off since we, we we opened the tap room, where in lieu of tips, people leave donations, um, and we created this no tip model. And so, 
by instead of our, our service staff relying on tips, we pay them, you know, the equivalent of a full-time salary and benefits and guaranteed, you know, 40 hours a week. And so that's just tr- created this tremendous vehicle for charitable giving. And we've been focused on um, Vermont um, first as a, as kind of our core. This is where all the money is raised, so we give it back to the local community especially, and we're really focused on um, healthy communities, especially food and economic uh, uh, security and social safety net programs, and then um, uh, protecting and uh, conserving our beloved Green Mountains and encouraging sustainable recreation. So it's, uh, that's, that's something that we're really focused on um, growing. We'd like to continue to be um, an innovator in reducing our impact uh, on the environment. So we've got a new solar project in the works. We covered the brewery's roof with solar panels, and we're going to work on um, a new uh, canopy installation across the road uh, over our remote parking lot so that we can generate more than half of our own electricity on site. Um, and then I'd like to see the brewery continue to, or the, and the brand continue to evolve in um, you know, coming out with, with new beers and not necessarily new styles, but you never know. I mean, the space in between, undefined ale. <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to seeing what comes next and to certainly getting up and visiting your new spot uh, when restrictions Ab- are lifted. Absolutely. Well, let me give you a sneak preview on, on what we've got coming that folks will be able to find out in the market, even without getting coming to us. Cause yeah. You mentioned it early in the podcast yeah that's what i'm excited about and so the other beers coming along are our scrag mountain uh uh pilsner uh with salt uh, now and you're lime. speaking my language scragarita yeah. Scra- baby so i can't wait to make a beer cocktail with that one <laughs> so that's going to be coming out in july it's the um, it's the comma and, baby that just sold it for me a hundred percent yeah Yes, Scragarita baby. Oh, God. And um, and one of the things that's most exciting uh, that's going to be coming this this summer is uh, we've been working on uh, a new addition uh, to the Sunshine line. Ooh. And I can't I can't say exactly what it's going to be. Oh, yet, see, no, that's, that's not fair. That, you can't you can't just come on the teaser. show and uh... that's your teaser. This is how you. This is how you angle for an invitation back onto the show. I like it. That's. Uh, <laughs> I hope so. Yeah, it's crafty of you. Um, and then we're also um, changing um, formats on some of our packaging, so oh, yeah. we're moving our Super Session IPA series into four packs of uh, sixteen ounce cans uh, from uh, twelve ounce six packs and twelve packs. We'll keep the twelve packs of twelve ounces, and we're going to do the same with our. Scrag Mountain Pills. And then the newest edition, which is coming at the end of this month, is the Super Session number four, the debut of that beer in cans and, and wider distribution. Uh, and that's uh, that's a single hop session IPA series. And this one's brewed with Centennial, so an old school classic. Yeah, that's kind of fun. I thought you were going to say, yeah. you know, some experimental variety and everything. What drew you to Centennial for that? Pardon? What drew you to Centennial as a single um, hop? It's just it's just a classic flavor profile that that I really love, and it's it's just that lemon lime uh, citrus 
character of Centennial. It's the it's the super cascade, and um, certainly there's there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of fans of Centennial out there, as evidenced by the success of uh, Bells and their Two Hearted Ale. A real that's an OG classic IPA that's based oh, yeah. on Centennial. So um, you know, hundreds of thousands of Centennial lovers can't be wrong. Absolutely. Well, Sean, thanks for uh, the preview, and thanks for talking with us, and thanks for uh, doing what you do, and looking forward to hoisting a pint with you, or three, or four, or five, uh, once all this is lifted. Yes, John, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for the invitation to be on the podcast, and uh, look forward to speaking with you again. Cheers. Cheers. As we head into month whatever of these lockdowns, I keep adding all these breweries to my post-COVID bucket list. Lawson's is on there. I'm also fortunate because he's sending beer to Jersey these days, so I only need to go as far as my local liquor store curbside pickup. I hope you're as fortunate. I heard some great suggestions on brewery bucket list places from all of you after I asked about it on last week's episode. From the traditional like Bells and Trumers to newer spots that are worthy of a closer look, I think we are all itching to hit the road and to drink socially together again. In the meantime, we really are all in this together, and I'm happy that this show, along with the Beer Edge podcast, has found a way into your at-home routines. If you want to reach out, I'm easy to get in touch with. It's just John Hall, J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L, at BeerEdge.com, or John underscore Hall on Twitter. And the Beer Edge is on all of the social medias, at the Beer Edge. Don't forget to leave a review online. It really does help other folks find the podcast. And thanks to everybody who has left uh, very, very nice words uh, so far. You know the deal. Nate Sweber designed the music and Jeff Quinn designed the logo. Andy Crouch is over on the Beer Edge podcast, and you should subscribe to that and listen to it every week. Never miss an episode. If you'd like to advertise on that show or this one, you can just drop us a line and reach me at my email address. And speaking of that, This show is sponsored by New Holland Brewing. Did you know that the term dragon's milk has been around since the 17th century? It was used to describe potent ales and elixirs that were worthy of celebration, a reward at the end of a perilous journey. New Holland Brewing Company is proud to continue that tradition with its dragon's milk family of beers. Whether it's the original bourbon barrel aged stout or the mysterious dragon's milk white, a white stout aged in bourbon barrels and brewed with chocolate, coffee, and vanilla, the legend of dragon's milk continues to grow. We'll raise a glass to that. Learn more at dragonsmilk.com. And of course, we're produced by Beer Edge, the newsletter for beer professionals. Help support journalism covering the beer industry by subscribing to the twice weekly newsletter. Learn more at our website, beeredge.com. We put out new episodes of this podcast every Wednesday, and that's when I'll be back again to drink beer and to think beer. I hope you'll tune in. And for now, take care and toast to the good times to come. Thanks for listening.